Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Two things clear from the very start. Number one, the Cincinnati Bengals are awesome. They're awesome. They really are. And I'm completely pumped for Cincinnati. That's a fan base that has suffered for decades. But not anymore because that team is incredible. They are everything that everybody has said about them and more. And they're going to get a ton of hype over the next two weeks. And they're going to deserve every last bit of it. In fact, I'm going to get to them shortly. I will. They're going to get their respect here soon enough. Because right about now, I could not respect them any more than I do. Fact. So I want to be very clear off the top with that. That said, I'm not going to lead the show with it. Instead, I want to begin this show... And this week, by talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes? And I'm going to do it with three simple words. Patrick Mahomes choked. Pure and simple. Because they absolutely blew it. And I want to tell you something. I'm not some hot take artist. I don't like using that word. In fact, I hate using the choke word. Choke is one of the worst things that you can say about an individual or a team. And believe me, I think really long and really hard before I bust out with something like that. Because again, I'm not a hot take artist. But in this case, it's true. There is no other way to say it. Kansas City choked. Patrick Mahomes choked. If that's not a choke, then what is it? It's a choke. They get up by three scores in the first half, and they go full Mama Cass on it. A third straight trip to the Super Bowl was right there for them, and they gagged it away. It was right there. Everything you want. A three-score lead at home in a hostile environment against a team that had never faced a moment like that. And what did KC do? They took a big dump in their pants. You a big dump in your pants. They pissed down their own leg. They puked all over themselves. They did all that. This is the only way to say it. And that's not taking anything away from Cincinnati. The Bengals were the better team. That's just a fact. The better team won yesterday. The better quarterback won yesterday. He was the better quarterback yesterday. There's no denying that. In fact, who would have thought that Patrick Mahomes would play the worst of the four quarterbacks yesterday? Because he did. On this day, he was the worst of the four quarterbacks. An 18-point lead at home. Mahomes gets up three scores on you, and it's good night. Thanks for coming. Head for the exits before he makes it even uglier on you. At least that's what's supposed to happen. But he blew it. The guy who's been glossed, the future GOAT, is now tied for the biggest choke in AFC Championship game history. And I'm not talking about that pick in overtime. I'm not talking about that sack and the fumble in regulation where he got bailed out by an offensive lineman. I'm not even talking about that hideous pass at the end of the first half that cost them points or that third down conversion, all of them, that he missed in the second half. I'm actually talking about all of that collectively. I mean, like, he blew it. Completely. And if everybody is going to hype him as the second coming and as much as we do, and he deserves it, by the way, he is all those things. But if you're going to hype a guy like that when he does all those things, you have to crush him when he does this because he deserves that too. He deserves both. And yes, he was not alone. There were others involved in this meltdown. The coaching decisions were whack. Kansas City's pass rush could not get home against a collection of traffic cones. Turnstiles is the way I put it on the NFL today. And they got gashed repeatedly in overtime. Trust this. Everybody did their part in that choke job. And, of course, the quarterback is always going to get more credit than he deserves when he wins. And then more blame than he deserves when he loses. But in this case, the quarterback deserves a mountain of blame. Let's go back to that play at the end of the first half. At the end of the first half, when Kansas City got way, way, way too greedy, ball on the one-yard line, five seconds left, no timeouts. 
What does KC do? Do they kick the field goal, going to halftime up 14, knowing they're going to get the ball to start the second half? Nope. They get greedy. Greedy as hell, and they run this. Second down and goal to go at the one. Chiefs out of timeouts. They're going to go. They give it off. They fake a handoff. They throw it to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill trying to get off the hit. He'll be tackled, and the Chiefs will not score at the end of the half. They tried to throw it in the flat off play action, and the Chiefs get to the one and do not get a field goal or any points out of the last drive of the second quarter. Eli Apple made the stop, and Cincinnati will take momentum into the locker room. Chiefs. Radio on that. Look, I can't decide if that's the greediest move ever or the dumbest move ever. Call it a tie. Call it one of the all-time worst decisions ever. Andy Reid said afterwards that he could have given him something better than that play. My man, you're right. You absolutely could have given him something better than that play. That play call was so bad. The play call was bad, but the execution was even worse. The one thing you cannot do in that situation is have a guy get tackled inbounds with the ball, especially when you wasted a timeout earlier. You want to get cute and take a shot there? Fine. Throw it into the end zone or throw it away, but make sure you get the hell off the field with at least three points. What you cannot do, the only thing you can't do, is what Mahomes did. Amateur hour. How the hell can a Patrick Mahomes quarterback team and an Andy Reid coach team let that happen in the AFC title game? Because now you've got an 11-point game, and you just hit the Bengals and their defense in particular with the paddles. The defense had not stopped Kansas City all game to that point. KC had the ball three straight times, and they scored three straight touchdowns. At that point, the only way Cincinnati could have stopped them was if Kansas City stopped themselves, and that's exactly what they did. And what that did was that gave the Bengals life going into halftime. A lot of life. The Bengals' defense then comes out, and they dominate KC in the second half. They allowed 21 points in the first 25 minutes. Three points over the next 40 of regulation in overtime. All you need to do is look at the drive chart. Touchdown, 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 halftime blunder, punt, punt, INT, punt, punt, field goal, INT, ball game. Thanks for coming. But the horrific moves and decisions by Mahomes did not stop at halftime, right? They increased in the second half. There were misconnections on key plays. Then him going absolutely, positively brain-dead on the final drive of regulation. I mean, first and goal from the Cincinnati 5 with 90 seconds to go. At that point, I mean, you even hear like Tony Romo talking about, hey, maybe they should let them score. Maybe they should let them score to get the ball back as quickly as possible. Like, that was actually a talking point and a valid one, I guess. At that point, the Bengals are using timeouts. They're trying to keep time on the clock so they still have a chance. But instead of putting them away, Kansas City gives it away. Mahomes gets sacked on second down and then strip sacked on third down. He's got protection. Too much time. You can't do that. All the way back to the 21. Now they chase him. Spins around. And the ball's out. It's recovered, though, by Tooney. It was Hubbard who forced it. And now you've got to make a longer field goal. Like, how the hell are these things happening to the alleged greatest quarterback of his generation? How does that guy get sacked twice in a row in that situation? My man's out there looking like Chad Henney. I had to keep checking to make sure that Henney had not somehow slipped into a Mahomes gamer and wandered onto the field because it was that hideous. You can't do that. I'm not even sure Henney would do that. How did that happen? So he gets bailed out by an old lineman who fell on his fumble and then by his kicker who had to make a longer field goal than necessary because of the sacks. And then Mahomes looks flustered for the first time ever. The guy looks like he's in over his head. He didn't look like a guy who was a league MVP. He didn't look like a guy who was a Super Bowl MVP. He didn't look like a guy that they already set aside a yellow blazer for. He looked like a rookie who didn't belong. And then he capped off the implosion with this in OT. Mahomes, deep downfield for the cheetah. It's deflected and intercepted by Von Bell. Bell running in the middle of the field to the 40. 45, taken down with a high tackle by Kelsey at the 45-yard line. No penalty flag, but the Bengals come up with an overtime interception and now could win the game on a field goal. Bengals radio on that. I mean, as bad as that pick was. It's not like that was a one-off, right? He was nearly picked on the previous play. 
was like Mahomes was desperate to throw an interception. It was like Mahomes had money on the Bengals or something in that game. That's how bad that was. That's how bad he was. I mean, I, I literally could not believe what I was seeing. This guy's on pace to be a legendary quarterback. That's still true. That's still true. But he did choke the hell out of that game. And you know that's true, too. And again, I want to be very clear about this. And I'm sure I'm going to lose some friends and some people are not going to forgive this. And I, I mean this. I think long and hard before I use that word. You don't hear me use that word very often on this show. I think long and hard before I hit anybody with a C-bomb. Especially somebody like that. Especially a team like that. But how else would you describe what they did? And taking nothing away from the Bengals, who I love and I can't wait to talk about, and I will soon enough. But we had to start with that choke job because that was one for the ages, especially given who was responsible for it, which player, which team, which coaches, where it happened, what the stakes were, how big the stage was. What I'm saying is that just can't happen. And it did. And that's going to sting for a long time. That's not only going to leave a mark, that's going to leave a scar. And credit to the Bengals, man. They are so impressive. I will get to them. I cannot wait to talk about Joe Cool and also that Bengal defense, which I knew was good, but maybe didn't even know it was that good. And now everybody knows how good that defense is. 1-800-636-8686. It is toll-free. I'm looking for some reaction. What do you say I start this Monday with old Victor? No Calvick is in. He writes, can we add this to Andy Reid's long list of playoff failures? You know, the thing that used to be the knock against him before 2019. The thing about Vic, I think a lot of you like to come in and go at Vic. But yeah, that, that's a thing. That's a thing. Like that stopping a thing when he came to KC and he won one. But people are going to go back and say, hey, no, wait a minute. That guy, yeah, that guy had that issue. And now that issue's back. I'm saying it was not just Mahomes. Coaches, Mahomes, players, collectively, everybody had a hand in that. But when we're talking about the future GOAT playing as poorly as he did, that's where you're going to start. Chris in Milwaukee, quote, Jimmy, kudos to Patrick Mahomes for his courage to throw that pass into the flat and let the clock expire going into the half. Looking back at it, that was the correct call, and they executed it properly. Thanks, Mike McCarthy. Right. I mean, like I said, that was such a bad play call and even worse execution. I mean, the only thing missing from that was Tyreek throwing up the deuces to Eli Apple as he wrestled him to the ground short of the goal line as time elapsed. How perfect would that have been? Big game's coming up, right? Omaha Steaks has got the perfect package to save you over 50%. Now, I've been an enormous fan for years. I mean, literally for years of Omaha Steaks. They make it easy to enjoy an unforgettable game day meal to be loved and shared. And for a limited time, Omaha Steaks is offering a special touchdown game day package. Visit omahasteaks.com. Type in the keyword gym. That's a little bit different now. Keyword Jim in the search bar and take advantage of this exclusive offer. Are you looking for more? Omaha Steaks makes it easy to warm up your winter with 50% off lean tender steaks and hearty home cooked favorites. Visit omahasteaks.com, enter Jim in the search bar, and order the Heartland Favorites package. You will save over 50%, plus, you'll get four lean pork chops and four extra juicy chicken breasts every single time. Every order is backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee, delivered safe to your doorstep Omaha Steaks nobody comes close to matching their flavor tenderness and value OmahaSteaks.com keyword Jim so I know you Chiefs fans are having a tough time processing what you saw yesterday otherwise you would not keep calling the program and saying I don't want to go on the air I just know the fix was in it was fixed (laughs) so I know you're having a hard time processing what you saw so I'm going to run down somebody right now who might be able to help you with that maybe he is a senior NFL reporter for Yahoo. He's host of the You Pod to Win the Game. He is a very good friend of the program. He is Charles Robinson. My man, how was your weekend? How you doing? What's up, Charles? Uh, I'm doing well. Wait. <laughs> Let me get this right because this is, this is breaking news to me. The league fixed it. Right. So that the Bengals <laughs> right. 
would play in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. That's what. That, we, essentially, we that's what. The, it. Yeah, welcome, welcome to my life. Welcome to my world. We welcome to my show. So that the the best quarterback in the league, right, isn't going to be on the biggest stage for the third year in a row. Like that is. I'm sorry. That's a man. As I said, I, I, what, thought, I thought I was losing my mind when people telling me that Jimmy Garoppolo played a great game last night. But man, this that's a whole other one. As wow. I said, welcome to my life. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my fan base. And their response oh, will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well, how do you explain it? How do you explain it? I don't really know. But so many places to start. Why don't we start right here? What was your reaction to the play call and the execution at the end of the first half by KC? Don't throw a ball. Like, I... <sighs> You know, Andy Reid said that, that, you know, maybe it wasn't, I'm paraphrasing here, it wasn't the greatest call, you know, the play call that he sent in. But, I mean, it's a, I, I just don't, if you're going to throw the ball and you're, you know, on the goal line, don't throw it five yards behind the goal line. You know, I mean, don't don't step back five yards and then put a, and I get it, you know, like it's you, you have an exceptional player who's, you know, trying to make a guy miss, but, you know, you, you it just, I don't like plays that go backward, especially when you got five seconds left, and you know this is this is a, sort of an all or nothing situation. Because if you throw it in the end zone at that point, you know if it hits the turf, okay, you, you got your opportunity to get your point. Um, there's there's a tick of the clock left, whatever. It just nothing about it um, was really a good play. It wasn't a good decision, and I, you know I think Mahomes shares in that too because he's got the opportunity to look that off um, in in that situation and. You know, I, I do. I think it's on Andy. I think it's on Patrick Mahomes there. But um, that still does not explain uh, what happened in the second half. You know, and e I, Eli Apple came out and said they started mixing up, you know, their coverages and disguising some things differently in the second half. But um, you, you can't – I when it was 21-3, I'm like, this is over. Like, this is just done. You're not, you're not going to beat, you know, the Chiefs. You're not going to outscore the Chiefs the rest of the way. Um, and basically do what the Bengals did. And, you know, that falls on the coaching staff in the second half. I think it falls on um, somewhat personnel-wise that ability to have the third option that really, let's, let's be honest, all season long it was like, okay, well, they, they're seeking to find um, this third piece here on this team. Is it going to be Josh Gordon? Is it going to be one of the running backs in the rotation? And they never really found it. And I, last night was one of those games, and it happened other times in the season, where I'm like, man, they sorely are missing um, just this a third piece. There's got to be one other complementary piece there, and they just don't have it. And conversely, I don't know, what can you say about Cincinnati? The front end, you know, especially in the second half, dominated. Joe Burrow, I, I can't say enough about – the cliche of Joe cool, but he really does embody that. And to just sort of transform the attitude of a franchise. I've never, there's not a lot of players who, who really can accomplish that outside of Tom Brady and a few others. Charles Robinson joining us. I'll tell you what, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I mean, I understand what you're saying about Brady and a few others, but we're talking about Joe Burrow coming off a significant injury, and we're talking yeah. about the Bengals. I mean, you can talk all you want about his fit, and by the way, what an awesome look that was. But how do you explain the way he has changed that team and the entire organization in just over a year and a half because he missed a chunk of last season with that knee injury? How has right. that guy done that? I don't... I don't know any other way to explain it other than to go back. And I, so I was at the Manning passing Academy a couple of years ago. And I remember I was, I was talking to Justin Herbert and he was sort of the big star there at the time. And the thought process was Herbert's going to end up being the, the first, you know, the first pick in the draft and all he had, he had come back to Oregon for, for his last year there. And I remember Herbert was in the room or, I mean, I'm sorry. I remember uh, Burrow was in the room and at the time Burrow was, you know, third round, it was people like third round pick, like, you know, we'll see what happens with him at LSU. He was popular because the camp was being held in, in Louisiana. But when you watched, um, he, he held his home, his own every bit during that camp. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know a lot about, him. I knew he had transferred all these different things, but then you kind of saw what he brought to that LSU program. And remember me, he gave Ed Ogeron a championship, okay, which is, Looks a lot different now. At the time, we're like, oh, Ed, you know, great, you know, great coaching job. No, not at all. This, that was Burrow and, and a ton of talent around him. The question was, could he transfer that sort of attitude, you know, what, what he carried throughout that college season to the NFL level? He did it as seamlessly as I've ever seen. And even when, what, I think he was like 2-8 and eight when he suffers the, 
the knee injury in his rookie season. But even in those losses, it was remarkable. He was getting battered, just beaten down that season, and nothing was breaking him. And every game, he was keeping them in games. And I remember, you know, Therese Paler at the time, he and I were just talking about, like, and nothing faces this guy. He just seems nonplussed by any adversity whatsoever. And I think this season was really a continuation of that. And last night was a continuation of that, just nonplussed by deficits, whether he's getting sacked a million times, whatever it is, he just is like, all right, we'll, we'll come out in the next drive. And, and I'm not – I'm going to be the same guy I am now. I'm completely – sort of flatline in terms of my emotion and and it ends up raising a lot of people around him uh, one other thing that i'll say is long answer here but the the Bengals were built a lot better than we've given them credit if you look at the skill positions they've hit on a lot of draft picks. the offensive line not great but a lot of the guys that they picked and and that surround burrow they hit on those guys and that's made a really big difference also and it's, it's not just joe i mean there's there's a heck of a lot of talent particularly on the Oh, he's got weapons. He's got weapons, but he knows how to use them. Charles Robinson is joining us. All right, so you mentioned Jimmy G, and you wrote about this for Yahoo. Is there any doubt in your mind that his interception last night was his final play as a 49er? I, none. And if it wasn't, I mean, I, I look, could I see him stay? I mean, if he took like a massive pay cut, um, but, you know, could he still be in the fold there? Yeah, I mean, it would be a really awkward situation. But, I mean, look, it's got to be Trey Lance. Like, you don't invest what you did to go get Trey Lance. And I, I thought that that loss embodied really what Jimmy G has become. And it's funny to me because you have all these Jimmy G stands out there that are like, you know, he played a good game. No, he didn't play a good game. He played a mediocre game. Go watch it again. Okay. First off, one of the touchdowns was a Debo Samuel play. Okay. Like go, go and watch it again. He threw a hospital ball to his best player on offense at one point. And Debo Samuel, because he, is who he somehow survived, the hit that he took on that play, um, he just – the critical moment, you get the ball, it was 146. We are in a league now where, like, look at the AFC's top five, six, seven quarterbacks, okay? They're all young guys who are going to carve out this living on, the, you know, the fact that they can get the ball with two minutes left and go get the field goal to tie it or take it 75 yards and win a game and walk it off. He is not that guy. That is a huge problem for them. They knew it last offseason. It's why they went and tried to get Aaron Rodgers. It's why they traded, you know, everything on earth to move up to the third pick in the draft. He's not that player. He's, he is a middle-of-the-road quarterback, which is fine, but go around the league and the theme with owners, general managers, and head coaches that is the, like the highest percentage theme, they will tell you. If you don't have the quarterback who can compete with these other guys who can walk it off in two minutes, you're not going to win Super Bowls in this league. It's, it's a fact of life. Charles, I got about 60 seconds. I'm really curious. Like, what are you hearing about Trey Lance? Like, how much better do we think that he's gotten? Is he is he ready to play and win and take them a long way? What's your sense? Um. It's going to be a big off season for him. You know, like I, I think that, you know, when you go back, he obviously plays, I think it was the January 2nd game. He had, you know, he got extensive work and against the Texans. And I thought, you know, played a pretty good game, but look, he was going, he was going to be a project. Nobody wanted to hear that. But the truth was he played one game his, you know, last season in college, he had basically not played much football in almost two years. And it always seemed like it was going to be a red shirt season for him. There's no question in my mind he's got, you know, all the tools and he's got the smarts to get it done. But, you know, Kyle Shanahan's going to be really demanding. And I think part of the reason was, you know, he probably couldn't be trusted consistently over the course of this season. That's got to change, obviously, this, this offseason. So I think he's making progress. But this is – he has to make that hyper leap this offseason in terms of the trust level with Kyle and – Frankly, Jimmy set the stage for him because they knew in that last two minutes we probably can't trust this guy. He proved that to be true. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried, 
tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. For those of you who like to take things up a notch, next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Is there any athlete anywhere cooler than Joe Burrow? Answer, hell to the bleeping no. And no, I didn't need to see Joe Cool rolling to Arrowhead wearing a thick gray winter coat, earbuds, designer shades, a bag on his shoulder, a giant gold pendant featuring a Nike swoosh and JB9 dangling from the necklace to confirm this cat's coolness. Although, yes, that was pimp as hell. But Joe Cool's swag has been off the charts for a while now. Hell, even back to his days at LSU. And so has his play. This guy is as good as he's always thought that he was. No quarterback can compete with his resume two years into his pro career. Seriously, I have never seen a young quarterback. I've never seen a guy this young have more of an impact on a single organization than Burrow has on the Bengals, ever. There's never been anything quite like this. Two years ago, they were 2-14. and 14. Then they draft him. He plays lights out, shreds his knee, makes it back in time for this season, and leads a team that won all of four games last year all the way to the Super Bowl and does it in just his second year and after he shredded his knee and he played behind a crappy offensive line. Like, this dude's from another planet. This is a different cat. A different cat among different cats. An uncommon dude among really uncommon people. Now the guy's become the first quarterback selected, number one overall, to reach the Super Bowl in his first two seasons. After, mind you, rallying from an 18-point deficit to beat Patrick bleeping Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in their own crib in one of the most hostile environments in the league. And nothing phases this guy. He literally expected all of it to happen. I mean, all but said it would happen. You go to any Bengal way before the start of the season and say to them, or any Bengal fan, say any Bengal fan before the start of the season, hey, would you take the AFC North? How would that be? How would that feel? What if I were to tell you you're going to win the AFC North? Would that be enough? Would that be one of the best years ever? Would that be one of the best things that ever happened in your life? Coming off a four-win season, I'm guessing every last Bengal fan ever would have taken that and partied their asses off. But then you hit Burrow with the same exact question before the year started. Hey, Joe, if I were to say to you that you won the AFC North but didn't do anything with it, would that be all right? Hell no. Hell no. We're going to win it. We're in it to win it, but we're in it to get to and win the Super Bowl. And then everybody would have laughed in this guy's face and clown the hell out of him, except Burrow. Except Burrow, who would have kept a straight face, and then say to the rest of the planet, yeah? Tell me how my ass tastes now. Joe Cool has his team in the Super Bowl already. But, but the catch, the catch is his team is the freaking Cincinnati Bengals. It is so unfathomable. It's off the bleeping charts. Never mind making everybody around him better. And he does have good talent around him. But never mind making everybody around you better. This dude practically changed the culture of the entire organization single-handedly with the way he plays and the way he leads and with his swag and his it and his confidence and his toughness. This dude practically erased years, if not decades of futility, all by himself. And this is no front runner now. This guy is the freaking man. Ball, I mean, behind the eight ball, on the road, down big, in the AFC Championship game, probably anybody else would have just been happy to be there, way ahead of schedule, playing with house money, and on the verge of being blown out, good. Not this dude. 
This dude's like, get on my bleeping back. Get on my back. The offense scores 24 of the game's final 27, and now the guy's coming to L.A. Look, I'm not saying that the Bengals' defense had nothing to do with it. They had a hell of a lot to do with it. They did a hell of a job on Patrick Mahomes, who already said, who I've already mentioned, did a hell of a job on himself. So, yeah, you absolutely have to give the Bengals' D some bleeping credit, especially their D coordinator. Lee or Lou, I should say, Anarumo. I had a conversation, actually, with Lou Anarumo on the field before the game. I was talking to the iconic Pat Kerwin. Ionic. And Lou comes up to chat him up. And then, to my surprise, Lou looks at me. And I've never spoken to Lou before. Now, again, we're talking about the D coordinator before the game. He looks at me, and he says, Hey, man, really nice to meet you. I want to tell you a story about one day when I was out recruiting, listening to your radio show, and you said this about this guy, and he lays out one of my rants. He lays out one of my takes, and I don't want to reset the whole thing right now, but he goes, dude, that was so funny. He goes, I always remember that. I'm like, Lou, that is awesome, man. Really nice to meet you. He goes, oh, no, really nice to meet you. So now, and so I had this great encounter with Lou where Lou comes across the field to see Pat, but he tells me that. Like, not only knows who I am, but knows the show and remembers this legendary rant. Now I'm conflicted because I know I'm going to go on the air in about an hour and pick the Chiefs to win. But right there, man, that's a different sort of jungle karma. The underdog's D coordinator is rolling up on me with, Hey, Rome, nice to meet you. You do a great job. Let me tell you about something you said once on the radio that I never forgot. And then you got sweet lose defense freaking lights out in the second half. Are you going to tell me that's a coincidence when I know the jungle karma is undefeated? My man Lou, appreciate you. Back to Joe Cool. That's a real story. That happened. And you can't tell me that did not have an impact. You want to know why? Mahomes fell apart in the second half. That. Jungle karma. Sweet Lou and his defense. Back to Joe Cool. The guy played so much better than Patrick when it mattered. He did. He made so many more plays than Mahomes when it mattered. And he did it over and over again. And none any more impressive than this third and sixth scramble in the fourth quarter when the game was tied at 21 apiece, where Chris Jones had him, had him. Here's a third and seven. Still didn't get him. Oh, my goodness. How did he get away? Another chance. Now reaches out, and he's going to have the first down. There's no way. The one he did earlier today, we saw to do that right there again. I mean, he's fully sacked, and this isn't just nobody. This is Chris Jones. He's big. And now he's going to get him for sure, right? Yeah. Just that subtleness. He has that little sixth sense. Jones had him twice. He had him twice. It was unreal. He then leads them down the field for a field goal to take the lead, but that tells you exactly who this guy is. His heart, his competitiveness, his toughness, and the fact that he always plays his best in the biggest games, on the biggest stages, in the biggest moments. This is what this cat always does. Well, first, he changes the culture with that it, but then he comes in, and then he starts to win. And he wins, and he wins, and delivers on the big stage. He did the same thing at LSU. All right, so I'll finish my thoughts on that in a minute. But this is who Joe Burrow is. This is what this guy does. And he's going to get better and better. I mean, just let's just step off this for a minute. You imagine this guy leading a four-win Bengals team, not only to the Super Bowl, but a win? It could happen. Hell yeah, it could happen. Hey, you want a new podcast to look forward to every single week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you're most likely not just listening to The Daily Jungle, and that's totally fine. In fact, let me suggest a podcast that you should add to your list. It's The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters 
hackers, spies, hostage negotiators, and more. Jordan is one of the goats when it comes to podcasting, and he has got one of the most highly rated self-development shows out there right now. Point blank, this dude is smart, he's funny, he is easy to listen to. You will find actionable advice that can improve your life directly. You cannot go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For NBC Sports Boston, I happen to consider him a very good friend of the program. He is Tom Curran. Tom, what's going on? How are you? I happen to consider the program a very good friend of mine. Oh, yeah. I love that. What's up, my man? My brother, what's going on? How are you? We've got a lot of California conversations to engage in between the Raiders and the former San Mateo kid. Yes, we do. All right, so why don't we start with the former San Mateo kid. You covered yeah, somebody who covered Tom Brady for a very, very long time. Tom, what was your reaction when the report dropped on Saturday that he was retiring? Did that surprise you at all? Yeah, I was. I was truly surprised. Um, the intimations about more time with his family um, that he had had with Jim Gray earlier in the week on his podcast, those are things that he says on a fairly regular basis. So I figured he would come back after consideration and use the final season of his career, make it to 45 and use the final season of his career to really process and drink in and enjoy everything. Because I'm not sure how much time he spent on a post NFL career and vision for what his day to day will look like. I could be wrong. I'm removed from it now in a way that I wasn't when he was here, but and I found him. Hey, Tom, sorry about that. You were saying that you were a little bit removed compared to the way it used to be, but your thought was, I lost you right at, yeah, you weren't I'm sure so whether sorry. or not My he My thought had... was that, you know, he's so all in that what is his day-to-day going to look like? It's not going to be just about picking the kids up at school or going to their games. They're a little older now. And I thought that it was undersold how much the galvanizing impact of everybody having that around them. But, Jim, the more I considered it, when you look at the arc of the Bucks, the last thing Tom Brady wants is to come back one more time and be sitting there at 4-5 and five in November and saying, what am I doing? You know what I mean? Yes. I know exactly what you mean. That's really interesting. What about the point, and you made this point too, Tom, that when the report dropped, Brady's agent and his father were telling everybody, hey, now, just hold up, keep your shirts on. Does that mean that he's not retiring, or does that mean that he wants the news to come from him and not somebody else? I think the latter, 100%. Now, I don't think the decision has been made in just a brief conversation with his dad. It was indicated to me he he hasn't made a decision. He was out of the country. He's going to be out of the country into this week. I'm not sure when he comes back. I'm not sure what his timetable is, but... If, even if there's a leaning or if he's told people that he works with, he still wants the ability to do it on his own terms, which, let's be honest, even if he does, he really can't now. It's done. It's not like you resend all the, the teammates aren't going to resend all their tribute tweets. We've kind of shot our energy on it, I guess. We, we did kind of release our energy on it, didn't we? <laughs> It's the way I'm putting it. That's exactly what you're talking about. We can't re-release our energy once we've already shot our energy on it. I agree with you, Tom. That'd be kind of weird. It's out. How about this? The cat's out of the bag, and so is the energy. Tom Curran joining us. Listen, when Brady won that Super Bowl last year with the Bucks, and he did so without Bill Belichick, what do you think his motivation was going forward? You continue to see how much he could get out of his second career with the Bucks. One thing that I find really interesting is how Brady has lived on the high road since winning that Super Bowl. Huh. You know, as vindicated as he might have felt, he never spent any time at all grinding the Patriots' face in it. And to be honest, when I spoke with his dad prior to the Patriots and Bucks meeting, and Mr. Brady said, look, look, I feel vindicated. And I asked, if Tom also felt vindicated? Mr. Brady said, yeah, damn right. Tom was pissed. He was irate that I had put his dad in a position to speak for him because he did not want that to be reflective of how he felt. 
he really wanted to bury the hatchet with New England and be able to go forward with all peace and love and understanding. And I think the Belichick very much embraces that. So it's really interesting to me that subplot to this. As Brady retires, there's no awkwardness between he and Belichick. There's no, do they appreciate each other? Are they still mad at each other? They just had a separation that worked out best for both, and mom and dad still love each other. Look how happy they are together. <laughs> hey, listen, I get that, and that, that that's nice. That, that I understand the gesture, and not to nitpick, and I want to move on to Josh McDaniels, but sure. why was he mad at you for, quote, putting his dad in the position when his dad could answer the question any way he wanted to? Well, his dad, frankly, felt, you know, the, the same way a little bit. He, he did, But I think that Tom did not want the limelight prior to the game to be regarding, hey, this is how I felt then, and, and I grinded the Patriots' face in it. And we had known each other long enough so that he felt as if um, – Don't my, be asking dad that. Yeah, my putting, my putting his dad in a position to speak for him – was unfair mm. both to him and his dad. Mm. That that basically was the upshot. And I absolutely saw his point of view on it. It was my job as a journalist and for the people who pay my checks to ask the question. Right. But I see where, you know, the guy I've developed a professional relationship could feel as if he was irked by it. Mm. Tom Curran joining us. All right, so what about McDaniels? We know what happened when he was headed to Indianapolis and leaving the Patriots, and then that didn't happen. Now he is heading to the Raiders. For those who don't remember, what happened last time, and then what happens this time? Well, last time, if you remember, the Patriots had just lost the Super Bowl to the Eagles, and Matt Patricia was heading to Detroit. McDaniels was headed to Indianapolis. McDaniels began to have some reservations about Indianapolis because he believed that he wasn't going to have a little bit of the autonomy he thought in terms of coaching staff, in terms of facilities, in terms of having final say. That gave him some trepidation, as did the injury situation with Andrew Luck and Jim Mercy. But more than anything, the Patriots, primarily the Crafts, stepped in and said, Josh, we don't want you to leave. They had never done that, believe it or not, prior to the week right after the Super Bowl. They spent 15 hours convincing him not to leave. My question now is, why did they do that then but not now? Was it because they didn't want to lose him and Patricia? Was it because they envisioned him as a successor to Bill but don't now? Was it because they still could see him as a successor but they didn't want to prolong the torture of making him pull out of another situation without having an opportunity to, to elevate him? This is really interesting to me is, how much the crafts say, okay, it's Bill's decision to decide when Bill is done and we have nothing to say about it. Because there's a lot of brain power that's leaving this franchise, both from personnel and coaching over the last few years via retirement or new hires. I think everything you laid out is fascinating. So Belichick, Tom is now 70 or will be in just over two months. How do you think he views retirement? When will he know it's time to go? I don't think that he has any inclination at all about stepping aside. To me, if I put a timeline on it, I'd say he wants to see what happens with with Mac Jones. He'd like to see Mac Jones through his rookie contract. Um, the Patriots went ten and seven. They were nine and four at one point. They nose nosedived after that. Can they fix that? Was that a coaching situation or a personnel situation? Just fatigue and inexperience, or are they losing their edge? I think that the coaching was poor down the stretch. Certainly the execution and attention to detail was. So it was one of the worst coached seasons that Bill's had when you look at the last five games. They got annihilated by their prime rival. So Bill might want to, hey, I'm going to stay through this, but I think the arc of where the Patriots are headed in 2022 certainly begs the question of, is there a point at which the Crafts say, you know, Bill, for, for 22 years, you moved on from players, whether it was Tom Brady or Tyler or whoever, a year early rather than a year late and move people on. Will the Crafts ever look at Bill and say the same thing? Hmm. So do you think, for instance, that they no longer, the Crafts, they no longer see McDaniels as the heir apparent, or does McDaniels say, I don't want to wait that long to get that gig. i got to move on something right now. I think it's more of the latter. Bill's indefinite timeline as far as I know, I mean, maybe in the last 12 hours he said what he intentionally plans to do and has it all laid out. 
But as far as I know, Bill's indefinite timeline is making people say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to head out. You know, I'm not sure what the plan is here, but I'm going to head out. So I think it has more to do with that than the craft saying, yeah, he's not our guy. Hey, Tom, I got about 60. How do you think McDaniels does this time around as a 45-year-old head coach? I think he'll do great. When you look at the resume of big game coaching and development of key players that he has engaged in over the last two decades, there's probably about five guys in all of coaching with a better resume. To me, it all matters in bedside manner and delegation. That's it. That's what matters in the NFL. How well do you do at capturing the tone? And to walk in and expect to tread in the same you know, footsteps of Joe Judge or Matt Patricia or Brian Flores and have chaos follow you, it's the wrong approach. So we'll see how much he learned and whether he can channel Josh McDaniels instead of channel Belichick. Mm. That will lead to success because he's a great coach. I love that. Patriots insider, NBC Sports Boston, longtime friend of the program. He is Tom Curran. Dude, you are the best. Thanks so much, Tom. Great to have you back. See Appreciate you. Next you. Week, buddy. Never bet alone ever again. You can join in on the action by downloading WinBet today and become a part of the newest sports betting app on the market. That's right, WinBet. The luxury hoteliers are now in the digital betting space, and they're offering that same five-star service that you're used to from Win Resorts, all in the form of a sports book and digital casino app. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from football, basketball, hockey, golf, tennis, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, we have what you need to win. Are you ready to play? Sign up right now. Receive a special offer. Risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download. Bet. Win. Download the WinBet app right now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, so some quick reaction. Mark in Hollywood writes, the opening to your show feels a little off. Maybe you can blast some country music to the point where we can't hear you. Son, the NFL on CBS. Here they come. Rome, things were going so well for the Chiefs. Then the Bengals flat out ruined their day. We understand how tough that can be. Regards, CBS Sports, and Walker Hayes. Jeff from PDX. Rome, you think Patrick Mahomes had it bad at halftime? It was nothing compared to us. Regards, JB, Coach Cower, Phil, Boomer, and Nate B. John in New York. Jim, I haven't seen anybody as cool as Joe since Ritt slid behind the mic for his first on-air interview. All right, so let, let me go back to what happened at halftime. So understand, we knew, we, the team, those guys especially, you know, I'm part of the pregame show, not the halftime show, but we knew that was going to be a thing. Like, we had our production meeting on Saturday. Let me give you a little behind-the-scenes look really quickly. Let me provide a little color. So when I appear, well, even when I don't, the NFL Today on CBS airs normally at 12 noon Eastern, right, in New York. And on those mornings on Sunday, our production meetings begin at 8 o'clock sharp. We're all in the production meeting. Drew Kaliski, the legend, runs the production meeting. And we run down the entire rundown of the program, and then we all branch off. And the guys do their hits on tops, and we get into makeup, and then we rehearse. And then we go on the air. And this is like clockwork. They've got this down to a science. On the road, it's different. So there was no production meeting the morning of the show. The production meeting was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. This is why I flew out late Friday. I got into Kansas City Friday night at about 12.30 a.m. because I didn't want to fly the day of the production meeting. So we roll in there, and we're talking about all these things, and Drew made it very clear. He's like, guys, just so you know, one of the challenges is going to be halftime. They're going to be the, the music's going to be loud. 
and it's going to be near the set, and you're going to have trouble hearing. Just understand that. You've got to play through. So we knew. They knew. Not even we. I had nothing to do with it. I just did the pregame show. But they knew. They were pros, man. You have no idea how disconcerting that is, how hard that is. Those dudes are all pros. I mean, bleeping broadcast pros. Easy to laugh at it and poke fun at it. Not easy to execute. They are nickel and diamond their way down the field. Be selective when you take your big shots. But right now, if you can move the ball with passes 5 to 10 yards, that's when you win. Yeah, I don't know if you guys said this yet or not, but they got to get Jamar Chase down the middle of the field. Like, they don't even know what they're saying. They can't hear themselves. They certainly can't hear each other, right? And I actually, I can actually add a little bit of an experience to this. I did two hits. I did my first prediction, and then I did my second prediction. And for my second prediction, it was much louder than the first prediction. But this was the pregame show, and it was nothing like as loud as it was at halftime. And I'm just telling you, it was even a little disconcerting to me. A little bit. Not that bad. But I can only imagine what those guys were thinking. You know, like when you have Boomer saying things like, I don't know if we've talked about Jamar Chase yet. Yeah, I don't know like if you guys literally... said this yet or not, but they got to get Jamar Chase. Like, I don't know if you said that or not. They're like right next to each other on the same set with double IFBs, and they can't even hear each other. So I thought under the circumstances, they did an amazing job. And then there are a bunch of other things going on that you wouldn't know about, that you wouldn't really actually factor in. There was a basketball game that led into our show. So we knew that the show might start a little bit later. And you have to understand, when it comes to real estate, I mean, every second is accounted for. Almost every word on that show is accounted for. Drew Kaliski is like, a, he's a genius. He's a wizard in the rundown and the amount of real estate that he allows for each thing. Like, everything you hear me say on that is accounted for. Like, I've gotten this thing down to... I, I literally have gotten it down to this is the, the tightest I can make this without compromising the take. So there's a science to it. But then you have a basketball game coming in. And the basketball game is an absolute blowout. So we're like, all right. All right, this is fine. We're going to get in. We're going to get in. Wait a minute. That 20-minute game is going to go to overtime? So, I mean, it's a wild day. you got to be on your feet. And then you're on the road. So there's no controlled environment. You're doing a remote and you're on the road, and you're outside. And then never mind the elements. Luckily, the elements were only the music. The elements were not the cold. It wasn't 15 degrees this time. It was balmy. It was 40. It felt amazing. I had this beautiful scarf that I was rocking. Ditched it. Didn't need it. Had these gloves. Ditched them. Didn't need it. Hand warmers. Didn't even open them. Foot warmers. Didn't need them. Man, it was balmy as hell. We were so happy. Let me tell you something. All of you poking fun at the halftime show, y'all think you could roll? You think you can handle this? I can't hear myself think. Let me tell you something, morons. You morons can't even make phone calls to this show with everything being perfect. What if every time one of you called this show, Albie hit you with that? But louder. So why don't you walk in our shoes, dopes, before you come at us like that? I'll bet you, if I hit all you callers for that, there's no way you'd get through a call. You can't get through a call when everything's perfect. Get off, my guys. Good night!